our reading this morning is from Luke chapter 7, beginning at verse 36. Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who'd lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he cancelled the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt cancelled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Thank you, Nick. Hope is for everyone. Do you believe it? Do you believe that the Christian faith offers hope for everyone? I'm not seeing enough nodding heads. Yeah? Yeah? Well, that's fine, Paul. I shall go and sit down. Everyone believes it. I, like you, thought I believed this. Until I was caught out when I was listening to an interview with a lady called Rebecca Manley Pippitt. I don't know if you know who she is, but she wrote a book called Out of the Salt Shaker, which is sort of a seminal work on evangelism. Up until she wrote this book, most evangelism was based on a technique or a method that you did. But she started to talk about through friendships and relationships, which was very new when it came out, which is why it was quite a radical book. It's still used extensively. This is the version I bought a long time ago. That's the cover of the current version. The other thing about Rebecca Manley Pippitt is she wrote the Uncover course that we're doing. And if any of you'd like to come along to Uncover, it's on Tuesday at 7.45. We're doing the last session 
You don't need to have come to any of the others. You'd be more than welcome. So come along to Kairos Coffee, 7.45, and uh, you can join in with the last session of Uncover. The interesting thing about Rebecca Manley Pippitt is she came to faith all on her own. As an older teenager, she started to think on the big questions. Is there a God? If there is a God, how could I know if there's a God? Or how could God make me aware that he exists? And she started to read up on the major religions of the world, but she just couldn't find anything that answered these questions for her until she decided to look into Christianity. Now, her parents weren't Christian. She didn't come from a Christian family. But somewhere in the past, her mother had been given a book called Mere Christianity, written by a guy called C.S. Lewis. And it was as she read that book, she realized that in Jesus, she found the answers to the questions she had about how could she know if there was a God? And how did that God make himself known to her? Now, in the interview, she'd just given her testimony, and then she talks about going to a class reunion. Can we play the uh, clip? Kind of leading you towards what would become your faith. Do you know something? When I went to my 25th high school uh, reunion a while ago, <laughs> and so many, uh, yeah, I hadn't seen them. I, it was Champaign High School, mm. Champaign-Urbana is my hometown. I can't tell you how many, particularly women, came up to me and said, oh, Becky, our church is reading your stuff. We did out of the salt shaker. We're doing your seeker Bible studies or whatever. And I went, oh, my goodness, you're a Christian? Oh, I, I was raised a Christian. I was a Christian when we were in high school. I said, why didn't you tell me? Wow. And they said, oh, Becky, if I ever met anybody that didn't look the type, it was you. <laughs> I said, come on. What do you mean? And they said, oh, you were always asking these big questions, you know, to the teacher. And I can remember when something came up about Christianity and you were quite cynical. And you were just very extroverted and seemed very happy. I said, I was desperate. Mm. I was desperate. I so longed to know truth that it, it really almost became a crisis. Wow. And they said, ah, oh, I am so sorry. But I just never dreamed that you were open or interested, so you don't make that mistake. I had to find the Lord all by myself. It hit me about how many of my friends do I think are interested, that I think have rejected God. Their lifestyle just says, actually, God's not for me. It's hope for them. Now, the thing about our story we had today. And the trouble so often as we look at these stories is we just don't get the impact, do we? Because we live in 20th century Great Britain. We don't live in first century Palestine. Jesus was just the most famous person in the country at that time. They didn't have the internet or the papers or Twitter or Facebook. But everybody was talking about him. Crowds were traveling from all over the country. We're told people traveled from Tyre and Sidon, which is right in the north, all the way down to hear and see what Jesus was doing. People from the countryside and the city were coming in to see this man. 
Because he was healing people. People were being healed. People who were paralyzed were suddenly walking. People who were demon-possessed suddenly had their normal life back. There's a story of a centurion servant. Centurion servant who he, rem- he healed remotely. He raised a woman's son from the dead during the funeral procession. No wonder people were talking about this man, Jesus. He told stories. He was engaging. People wanted to listen to him. People who were the marginalized, the common people, they really liked him. They'd sit for hours and listen. See if this. Ah, wrong way. Do you want to shift it on for me? This isn't quite working. Uh, Back one. That's it. Sorry, go on. Next one. Sorry, yeah, you were right. That's it. Good. As much as the people love Jesus, The Pharisees didn't like him. This was the beginning of the time that they were starting to plot against Jesus. We can see that. This is a chapter before. It says, the Pharisees and teachers of the law were furious with him. He'd been challenging them about fasting and about the Sabbath and all of these things, and he'd been tying them up. They didn't like the way he was undermining some of the things that they were teaching and some of the stuff they were saying. And it was at this time, we can see, they started to plot against him. See if this works. Then, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to dinner. Now, when Jesus was invited to dinner, we think of him coming along to our back room, sitting down with us around a table, half a dozen of us having a chat. This was not what happened. Jesus will have been having dinner in an open courtyard at the side of his house. This was open to the local population. And just think, this guy was the most famous person around. This won't have been a quiet dinner party. People will have been wandering around, seeing what's happening. It's a bit like Sue and I inviting Barack and Michelle Obama to a barbecue on our front garden. And we've just let it slip on Facebook that it's happening. And it's in the local paper. Our neighbours would be doing their gardening, wouldn't they? Just checking things out, just earwigging. I'm sure there'd be a few press out there, wouldn't there? And TV vans, looking at what's going on. Because everyone would want to know. Everyone would be interested. They were waiting to see something outrageous, weren't they? They were waiting to see Jesus heal someone, or say something, or catch the Pharisees out. Why did Simon invite Jesus? Well, he was a Pharisee, wasn't he? So my suspicion is he was looking to catch him out. He was looking to show Jesus up, to prove that he was a charlatan and not a real prophet or teacher. And I think we can guess this because hospitality was a big thing in first century Palestine. Even if you brought someone in who was relatively lowly or common, you would still treat them like an honoured guest. Walking around 
in Palestine, you didn't have shoes that you take off that got dirty. You'd be walking around in sandals or bare feet. There would be local animals around. It would be dusty and dirty and unhygienic. So the normal thing you did when guests came in is you washed their feet. Because the feet would probably smell for more reasons just than that they were a bit sweaty. And when you brought a guest in, you welcome them. You know, when they come into our house, we shake their hand or perhaps give them a hug if we're a bit more tactile. In those days, you welcome them with a kiss. And you'd allow them to make themselves freshen, freshen up, make themselves feel presentable. You'd give them some oil for their hair. Simon did none of these things. Simon did none of these things. Everyone would have noticed. It wouldn't have gone unnoticed. It was a very, very clear snub to Jesus. The woman in our story hears the buzz in the town, doesn't she? So she takes her chance to come and see Jesus. Now they call her a sinner. The fact she was wearing her hair down and they called her a sinner is almost certainly code for the fact that she was one of the town prostitutes. This was not a woman you would have invited to a dinner party. This is not a person, if you were a Pharisee or an upright citizen, you would have had anything to do with. But something had happened to this woman in the past. She discovered something through Jesus. She didn't turn up to find forgiveness. She'd already found forgiveness in Jesus. That's why she came with a bottle of perfume. And when she gets there, she sneaks into the dinner party. This is a picture, I can't remember the name of the artist, but it's a famous picture of the woman coming in. And she gets down to his feet. And in her joy and in her love, she starts to weep. And as the tears hit his dusty, dirty feet, and the rivulets of tears start to run down his feet, she wipes the dirt and the dust off with her hair, and she starts to kiss his feet. And it is then she pours the perfume all over his feet as an extravagant gesture of the love and affection she has for Jesus and what he means to her. This is an outrageous act. If you were a Pharisee, you wouldn't have got into a situation where you might touch a woman who wasn't your wife, let alone get close to a woman who was a prostitute. How could this man, Jesus, Where are we? I think we're, we're, we're ahead of ourselves. Can you leave us back on the um, picture? Yes, we'll stay on that for some time. Um, imagine here at Shirley Baptist Church, we've just invited a really important speaker to come and speak here. And a woman turns up. She's dressed very inappropriately. 
it looks like she's working on the streets. And she comes across as the service is starting. And she starts to hug our special guest. She gets in the way. We're all slightly embarrassed, aren't we? What's going on here? This doesn't feel right. A couple of the lady deacons step in and just move this lady off. We take her out the back, give her a cup of tea and try and contact social services. That's how we'd have dealt with it. We'd have been embarrassed. How do you think they felt? Their special guest had come in, the person for the conversation. Now Simon was stunned. He knew it could go badly. And wow, it has, hasn't it? That's why he says under his breath, if this man knew what this sort of woman, it was a prophet, he would know she's a prostitute. He would know what a sinner she is. He would have nothing to do with her. He says Jesus can't be a prophet because he doesn't know what sort of woman this is. Actually, it's quite the opposite. Jesus sees this woman and knows precisely what sort of person she is. But he looks beyond her reputation and sees her expression of faith and love. That's why he confirms her sins are forgiven. Because Jesus doesn't ignore sin. He deals with it. In response to Simon's comment, he tells the story. There are these two debtors that owed money to a moneylender. One owed 50 denarii and one owed 500 denarii. My back at the fag packet calculation says that's roughly two months' wages for a day labourer or 20 months' wages. There's no way a normal citizen could even have dreamed of repaying that level of debt. Both are extravagant. He then says, well, which one loved the moneylender more or was most grateful? And we all know the answer. Simon gave the answer we'd all give, didn't he? The one who owed most. Jesus' point is, the extravagant behavior, that extravagant behavior of that woman is natural because of what she's been given. She discovered that God was not a God of judgment, but a God of mercy and forgiveness. She'd found hope. She'd lived with an expectation in her life of rejection and condemnation by her fellow citizens and the God who they served. But she'd found forgiveness. She'd been restored. And the amazing thing was she was adopted into God's family. She was now a child of God. Not rejected. We don't know the rest of Simon's story or the woman's story, really. But it's a perfect illustration that God's hope is for absolutely everyone. So back to my point at the beginning. Do we really believe God's hope is for everyone? The trouble is, so often I see a little bit of Jesus's, um, sorry, Simon's attitude in my own life. Let's flick on. Let's see if I can flick on a couple of. Right. 
Simon saw the sin in this woman's life. He saw a prostitute. He saw someone who wrecked marriages. Someone who was an adulteress. Someone who didn't follow the Ten Commandments. Jesus saw her as a person. A person who was lost. A person he came to die for. Simon saw her as someone who had rejected God. Her lifestyle and her attitude and the way she lived were things that were contrary to God's law. Therefore, she'd rejected God and wasn't interested. Maybe it was what she said. Maybe it was her, the words. Maybe she said she wasn't interested in God. She didn't care. These were all things that said she'd rejected God. And he also looked at her and said, God has therefore rejected her too. Jesus saw her as a prodigal. Jesus saw her as a father waiting to see her come in the distance. He knew she was in a far-off land, living it up, spending her money on parties, and having a good time with no interest or thought of him. He knew one day she'd hit rock bottom. She'd be feeding the pigs. And she'd turn and come back. The fatted calf was ready. The ring was on the dressing table. The coat was on the hanger. Until that day, she could see her in the distance. And he could welcome her with open arms. In Simon's eyes, she deserved judgment. She was outside of God's grace and God's love. She could see, he could see her rejection of God and therefore assumed that God had nothing to do with her. His Holy Spirit was not at work in her life at all. But Jesus knew God's grace is available to every single person. Even that person who looks to be furthest away. When I was at university, a lady from Campus Crusade for Christ, or as they're called, Agape now, came to give us a brief talk. And she tells us the story about, started at university, and they were encouraged to go door knocking. Anybody that's done this, it's the most terrifying experience. You go along and knock on the doors and invite people along to a Bible study. Now, there was one guy in that university, a member of the rugby team, good-looking, and life and soul of every party, every event. He was always the one telling the anecdotes and the stories and everybody listening. He was the one person she didn't want to knock on the door of. You know where this is going, don't you? Two or three doors in, she knocks on this guy's door, and she blurts out um, as quickly as she can, inviting him along to the Bible study. He turns to her and invites her in and says, can you help me? I've been reading my Bible and there are some things I don't understand. We've got this picture of this woman, haven't we? The last person in the town you'd expect to turn to God. Yet she's the one who finds forgiveness and hope. Paul on the road to Damascus, 
another example we can think of. Because whereas Simon saw no hope, Jesus knew there was hope for this woman. So, in closing, I want to ask you a question. Who is the person you know that is absolutely not interested in Christianity? Who is the person you know that you would be least likely to talk about what happened on Sunday morning with? It might be their lifestyle. It might be their attitude. It might be what they say to you. It might be the way they argue back or ridicule you. So who is that person? Just think in your mind now. We all know them. At work, school, college, maybe our next door neighbour or even a member of our family. And I want to challenge you. We're going to have communion and we're going to sing some more songs. But before you get out of your seat to get your cup of coffee, I'd like you to pray for that person. Just take 30 seconds and ask God through the power of his Holy Spirit to start speaking into that person's life. Because God's hope is genuinely for everyone. Even those people, we find it hard to believe his Holy Spirit could be at work in. And why not pray for that person every day this week? Just take those 30 seconds out of your day to just lift them before God. And if you see God start to do a miracle in that person's life, share it with us. It doesn't have to be up the front. Do it in your Bible study group or perhaps to a friend. Or great, if you're feeling brave, share it with all of us. Because we all need to be encouraged that God's hope is for everyone. And we shouldn't write anybody off. Thank you very much.